0: This series, Bless the Lord, O my soul, reminds us of all that God has done for us, how God accomplishes His promises, expresses His faithfulness and His righteousness to all who believe in Him, who serve Him, who have given them given Him their lives in service. Yesterday I attended a funeral for someone from a former congregation where I served. It was good to reconnect with the family and with other friends from that congregation. And as the pastor got up to speak, which verses were read? These verses from Psalm 103, these same verses that I'm preaching on today, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. As they remembered and celebrated the life of this dear sister, they celebrated even more God's faithfulness to her throughout her life. How God had blessed, how God had walked with her, how God had provided, how God had been there through it all. The joys, the triumphs, the pain and suffering and loss, God was good in all of it. So hear these words again from Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. This morning, we're going to look at the first of these blessings and promises that we find in this text. In verse 3, we read this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity." Who forgives all your iniquity? You know, the forgiveness of sin is something which is at the heart of our understanding of what it means to live the life of faith, to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Here now, in this post-easter time we are thinking and living into what it means to have a God who accomplishes these purposes, who accomplishes these promises, not only through the scriptures of old, but also through Jesus, the resurrected one, and how the power that is displayed in Christ's triumph over death assures us that God can do all things. God is present in all our circumstances. And that we can trust that God will do what he says. Here, David the psalmist says, We bless God and we give praise because he has forgiven all of our iniquities. Well, do you guys, are you guys ready for a sermon about sin? These are fun sermons, especially on a fun, joyful, child dedication Sunday. Let's turn our hearts to the topic of sin and all that has gone wrong in our lives and in our world. The guilt and the shame that we bear. What a great way to go, hey? The thing is, That what we're focusing on this morning is the joy that we find in God who forgives all our iniquities. Now, forgiveness of sin is something that only makes sense if you live in a world in which you understand that there is a God, that there is a greater spiritual reality beyond the physical world that you see and touch every day. We may feel at times as though we're living in a society that is more and more out of step with this idea that there is such a God. That there is such a spiritual reality. But I want to assure you, brothers and sisters, that this sense of a rise of unbelief, that there is perhaps no God, is something that is slightly skewed here in our Western perspective In fact, when you look around the world, as they have studied the population of the world right now, billions upon billions of people, they have come to understand and see that what we would call positive atheism, those who believe that there is no such thing as a God and in a spiritual reality, make up no more than 7 or 8% of the world's population. More than 90% of the world today that we live in understands. Now, maybe understands isn't the right word. But knows that there is something beyond themselves. There is something that is greater than us. That there is meaning and purpose and something spiritual about our reality that we do not necessarily see and touch every day. There's all kinds of arguments I can give you as to why this is true, but I think it's sufficient to say that this is something that we are born with. An innate understanding that there is something beyond ourselves, something that gives purpose and meaning and shape to the world we inhabit. For those who live in this reality, a question that comes to us often is, what is the source of suffering and evil? And how will it be dealt with? How will we make sense of all that is broken and wrong with our world in a moral and spiritual sense? Is there a source of some kind of eternal justice? A divine reckoning in which all that wickedness that we see, suffering that we experience, will be dealt with, made right, punished. We also know that every single human being in this world has done things that are wrong. Some of us have done things that are wicked and evil. Certainly, we all know that we have done things that are broken and bent and twisted. What happens with that brokenness? What happens with those wrongs? Is there an order to the world that we inhabit? When I think back to our my camp ministry days back when I was in my teens and early 20s, we would one of the illustrations that we would talk about with kids as we were talking about this idea of a broken world that, that's messed up is we would take a tube of toothpaste and we would open it up and we'd ask a kid to put out their hand and we'd dump some toothpaste into their hand and then say, okay, now all you need to do is get the toothpaste back into the tube. Can you do it? You try really, really hard, and you're really, really careful. You can probably get about 90% of the toothpaste back into the tube. But you're still left with a mess all over your hands. And even if you wash your hands, you still smell that minty freshness. (laughs) The point that we make is that no matter how hard we try, even when we recognize our mistakes even when we recognize our brokenness, no matter how hard we try to make it right, it still leaves a residue. It still leaves an after effect on us and those around us and the world we inhabit. So if this is true, it comes down to a uh, a deeper question about the world we live in Is there a God or are there gods? And what kind of God is it that has made this world and all that is in it? In the ancient world, there was this sense that there are elemental spiritual forces, things beyond the understanding of humanity but they more or less acted and lived the same way that humans did, just with supernatural power, almost like a Marvel Universe kind of way of thinking about it. In order for humanity to succeed and to thrive, one had to keep the gods happy lest things go badly for you. These gods were petty, unpredictable. They played games and amused themselves at the expense of humans. They did not care for humanity at all. In this world, there was no true justice, only a balancing of opposing powers, constantly in flux. Things could go wrong at any time. In order to win favor with the gods, one had to give the most that they could in terms of bribes and sacrifices and glories that would be attributed to their god. And even then, you never knew how things would play out. In our modern understanding, in the religions of the world today, we often think of the fate of persons in terms of an eternal and spiritual destiny that is dependent on some balance of good and bad. Does the good of my life, the good things that I've done, do that? does that outweigh the bad things, the broken things that I've done? In religions such as Buddhism and Hinduism, you keep trying to get this balance right, to be on the side of enough good lifetime after lifetime. And the reality is that only a few actually will achieve it. There's no actual concept of divine justice. Instead, the way that you make things right is by actually distancing yourself from the world that we inhabit and detach yourself and realize that all this stuff that we do and experience is all meaningless anyway. In Islam, which is one of the great religions of the world right now, the way that you Make sure that the balance tips to the good instead of the bad is through the things that you do, the actions that you do each day, especially the five practices that come with Islam. All of those good things and obediences that you do are then weighed against the sins that you have committed. The god Of Islam is a God that is far removed from the day to day reality of people, unapproachable, impersonal. impersonal. Though the words of the Quran talk about the God of mercy, it's a mercy only in unexpected ways. There is no way to assure oneself of forgiveness. The God of Islam is righteous and holy and just, absolutely. But in a severe way such as there is no grace, there is no love, there is no forgiveness of what has gone wrong. Just a hope that in the end, maybe what I have done has been enough. That I have been good enough. That I've been obedient enough. That somehow I might achieve a good eternity rather than eternal punishment. And there's no in between. The problem, as Isaiah the prophet says in the Old Testament scriptures, is this the prophet says, even all our righteousness even all the good that we do, even all the obedience, even all of our efforts to be righteous is like filthy rags. Why? It's because everything that we do has been corrupted by our own sinful nature. There is nothing pure in this world unless it is the pureness of God's presence and his divine nature Some of you are familiar with a a popular TV show over the last few years called The Good Place. In this, there's this idea where they're talking about how you make it into the good place, as in not the bad place, right? And as they're talking about it, and in one of the episodes, they realize that no one has made it to the good place in centuries. Why? Why? Because they recognize that our world has become more complicated than ever. It's more complicated than it has ever been to do things that are good and to get enough points to make it in. Because everything has unintended consequences. Everything has mixed motives. For example, I'm going to give you a flower to bless you and to have a great day, okay? Is that all right, Naomi? I'm sure Alex would be okay with it. The simple act of giving a beautiful flower to someone probably is mixed in with the corporate profit of a, of a store that pays its employees too little, the pesticides that have been used to produce this flower and to kill all the bugs that might make it look bad, the carbon footprint of producing those flowers, and the exploitation of the labor of those who are tending the fields. And in the end, the good of me giving a flower to Naomi is outweighed by far by all of these other things. Who can do anything good? The God of the Bible that we encounter, the creator God that we hear of, that the psalmist praises is a God of eternal justice a God who has made things to be good, a God who triumphs over evil and sets all things right in the end. And we learn in these scriptures that God has created humanity, not as a plaything, not as an afterthought, but as a people to be in relationship with him, people to bless and to show love to, And it's humanity's sin and brokenness that breaks that relationship that God has intended. And so through the scriptures of the Old Testament, we find how God provides a way for people to repair that brokenness and to reconcile with him. In the Old Testament, we have the sacrificial system in which sacrifices cover the sin of the people. So that the people can come close again to God. And the psalmist David praises God for this mercy and this graciousness and this love that God makes a way. David isn't even thinking about an eternal future of some kind. He's just thinking about, I get to be with God and walk with God here in this life because of what God has done. And if my relationship with God is right at the end of my days, that relationship continues on in a spiritual sense for eternity. This is what the psalmist is praising God for, the God who forgives all our iniquity. You all are familiar with the concept of iniquity, right? Definition? Anybody know? Well, Let's talk about sin and iniquity for a few moments. Iniquity, if you want to look up the definition, is something along the lines of moral corruption, wickedness, sin, transgression. There's a whole bunch of interchangeable terms that we use when we talk. It depends whether you're in church talking about it or whether you're outside in your daily life talking about it. It's, you know, it's the good stuff, the bad stuff. It's like, you know if you come over to my place and say, hey, can I grab you a Coke? What do I mean? Is it actually a Coca-Cola that I'm going to get you or is it a soft drink of some kind, but I'm just using the word Coke? It's kind of like that, right? Because Cokes are all soft drinks, but not every soft drink is a Coke. In the same way, in the same way in the Scriptures, there are different words that are used to describe iniquity, sin, and transgression. In fact, there are three main words in the Hebrew. I'm not going to pronounce them for you. If you want some notes and you want those words, I'll be happy to give them to you at some point. But there is one word in the Hebrew which talks about sin. There is one word that talks about iniquity. And there's one word that's translated as transgression. And these are actually three different things. And so when we read the scriptures, I invite you today when you go back home to read Psalm 103 beyond verse 5. And in the next section, especially at verse 8 and beyond, it uses multiple words to describe what God is doing. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. What's the difference? Sin is this thing in which we mess up when we try to do what we're trying to do. In Greek, the word is makarios, which means missing the mark. It's like you have an arrow and you're shooting it at a, at a target. The target is what you're supposed to hit, what you're supposed to do. And when you shoot the arrow, it just misses. It's in the right direction and it might get close, but it just misses. That's sin. God has described what he requires of humanity, what is meant for our well-being. And when we try to do those good things, as Isaiah says, even when we're trying to do the best thing, we still miss. Iniquity, the second word that we're looking at, actually has more to do with how everything is messed up. That not only do we miss, but in fact our very character, our nature as human beings is bent and twisted by the sin that has entered into our lives and into the world. Our heart is misshapen. And because of that, everything that we do is misshapen as well. The third word talks about transgression. And transgression is this very specific thing in which you know what you're supposed to do and you decide that I'm going to do something else anyway. It's a direct and deliberate act against what God calls us to do. Which of these three are we responsible for in our lives? You might be familiar with this verse from Romans chapter 3. Romans 3:22 and 23, it says this, For there is no distinction. Paul's addressing the Jewish and Gentile believers, some who think that they're better than others. And he says, there's no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have missed the mark. Every single one of us. No one gets a special pass just because you're the chosen people or you, you know God and you're close to God. No one gets a special pass. All have missed the mark. And it doesn't matter what our rationalizations are. I'm doing the best I can that ought to count for something. This is just who I am. I'm sorry, you know, it's, it's way, the way I am. My intentions are good, though. That ought to count for something. Hey, I'm only human. Humans mess up. That ought to count for something. What we learn in the scriptures is that in Christ, in Christ, all who sin are given an opportunity to be made right. God comes close. God bridges the distance that sin has placed between us and provides a permanent solution. Whereas in the Old Testament, there was a temporary solution. Now in Christ, there is a permanent solution in which we are offered forgiveness out of God's love, mercy, and grace. If we go on in Romans chapter 3 to 24 and 25, it says we're now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom Jesus whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood and that atonement is effective through faith the blood of Christ shed on the cross Jesus death on the cross deals with our sins our iniquity and our transgressions the cool thing here is that it not only remedies and wipes away the effect and the brokenness of the stuff that we have done, it also transforms our inner twistedness and brokenness. And we're given a new life, a new heart because of Christ. Verse 25 says, He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over sins previously committed. In the Old Testament, the blood of the sacrificial animals covered things over so that we could be close. And now it's completely made whole in Jesus. Some of you may be sitting here and trying to hold yourselves at arm's length from this message. 1 John 1 verse 8 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. and the truth is not in us and it goes on in verse 9 to say but if we confess our sins if we acknowledge our brokenness that we all that we do is twisted and bent and broken then he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness in first peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5 We hear of the promises of God through Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy he has given us a new birth. A new birth in a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus being raised from the dead proves that God does what he says he does. And shows that he has the power to accomplish this for each and every one of us. In verse 2, it goes on to say, and we have this resurrection of Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And this is why, together with the psalmist, we say, bless the Lord, O my soul. We have a beautiful inheritance, a salvation from the Lord. Verse 5, he says, for you... Who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In Jesus on the cross, our sins are no more if we turn to Him and say, I will follow you. I accept your forgiveness, your love, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, change my heart, make me new in the power of Jesus' blood. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, together with the psalmist David, we bless your name for your love, your mercy, and for the forgiveness that we find in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we live in that joy and that freedom as your children today. Amen.